Well, we, we certainly know that it's by the power of God's word that, uh, that a person comes to Christ. Uh, as a matter of fact, that is, that is what the Bible teaches us, that we're washed by the word. And uh, so grateful to have men out there that are still taking the word of God and putting it into the hands. And, and then it's up to the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and, and he changes lives and hearts. Uh, so, so grateful and we're thankful to be a part of that ministry as well, uh, Brother Lee. Uh, thank you for the opportunity for us to have you in here today. Let's pray as we get ready to uh, study God's word today together and see what the Holy Spirit would teach us. Father, we are grateful to be in your presence this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy, Lord, that you demonstrate to us daily. Lord, even on the unjust that you also show your common grace to, and we are thankful for that. We're thankful, Lord, that uh, as Brother Lee was just talking about, Lord, that there are people who are hungry for the word, hungry for understanding uh, what is going on in our world. And we pray, Father, that through this ministry uh, of the Gideons, but also, Lord, and just the ministry of your saints, Lord, that we would be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. We pray that you would take your word this morning, and Lord, that you would uh, quicken our hearts, Lord, to understand what you want us to, uh, to see and then to live by what we learn today. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's name, and we all said, amen. All right, you can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, verses 2 through 7 is where we'll take our text from this morning. We got through one verse last week, but we're going to cover several verses this week. And you will remember from last week that we learned that there is the good news of change. As a matter of fact, that was the title of the sermon, the good news of change. And we had seen that Paul at one time just had this tremendous hatred for the church, and really not only for the church, but he had a tremendous hatred for the Lord. And you say, well, how can that be? And, and I will say this, that, that misplaced loyalty can also become opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul thought that he was, he was doing God's will, but he really didn't understand that he was opposing God's will. But we saw that this, this hatred that he had for the church, that later, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he becomes a bond slave of Christ. He goes from being the persecutor to the slave of Christ. It changed him from a hatred of Christians to being a lover of the church. That brothers and sisters, is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why we do what we do, is because God is still in the business of changing lives. And it is accomplished through the preaching and the teaching and the testimony of his word. And this morning's message really kind of elaborates on the good news of God. Last week being the good news of change, this week we just want to focus on the good news of God. That's the sermon title. In our text this morning, we're going to see the history of the gospel. We're going to see the subject of the gospel. We'll see the fruit of the gospel. And finally, the response and result of the gospel. So we have the, the history, the subject, the fruit, and the response 
and result of the gospel. Now let me just read the scriptures for us together, and we'll start in verse 2 and then read down through verse 7. And it says, Which he had promised afore by his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom ye are also called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so the first thing that we want to see this morning that I think that the scripture lays out for us is just the history of the gospel. We find that in verse 2. But before we get there, let's just understand what the definition of the gospel is. What does the gospel mean? Well, the gospel means good news. That's what it means. But why do we have good news? Well, first of all, we need to, to know this, that if there's good news, there must be bad news. And the fact is, most people don't understand that they are living with bad news most of their days. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, it says this, Wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see, here's the reason of the bad news, is because of Adam's rebellion. When Adam rebelled in the garden, this is what that verse in Romans 5.12 says, is because of his rebellion, he brought sin on every single human being that has lived from his offspring to where we are at today, and it will be the same until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and establishes kingdom. All men are born under sin, and because of that sin, they are already condemned, is what the Bible says. So men are out there with a death sentence hanging over their heads. And I don't know about you, but that's bad news. You see, a lot of people think that just when they go to the hospital and they get a bad report, oh, that's bad news. A lot of people think, man, I just got the word that my, my spouse is leaving me. That's bad news. A lot of people think that just because their family falls apart, that's bad news. But what really is bad news is for those who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they stand condemned to death both physically and eternally. Amen? That is important for us to understand. So just understanding that account, we know that Adam sinned, and because of that, the consequence hangs on every single man. And that, but we have the good news, and the good news is simply this, is that God in his grace and in his mercy has provided a way of escape. And you say, well, Jim, what are we escaping? You're escaping the wrath of God. Jesus Christ did not come so that you can live a good life. Jesus Christ came and died in our place in order that we would escape the wrath of God. Now, we get a good life out of it, more in the after than here, because we know that there are a great many of our brothers and sisters, even today, who are persecuted even to the point of death for their faith. Just remember that we have a brother up in Canada right now who is still in jail because he preached the gospel. And we're not that far away from it here in the good old United States of America. 
So, now let me get to the, go the gospel promise, looking at the history. We find that Paul tells us that God promised good news. And this is important because it really informs us that the gospel was not some type of alternate plan or that somehow the Lord had to react to man's rebellion. God didn't have to do that. The Bible says that that was already established. A plan was in place long before Adam ever sinned. You guys tracking with me? So it, it, we, we see that this is a promised gospel that was the answer that God had for man's rebellion. And we see it two ways in the scripture here. If we look back at verse 2, it says, speaking of, let me back up at verse 1. It says, Paul and a, ser a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God. And then he follows on. He says, which has, or which he had promised by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So we see two ways that Paul says that this promise of the gospel was laid out for us. He said it was done in the prophets, with the prophets. Now listen, there is a lot of erroneous teaching going on out today. You hear of all these people saying that they have prophecies about this and prophecies about that, and prophecies about Donald Trump, prophecies about America. Listen, the prophecies are the Word of God. Amen? Be careful how that goes. Now, that's just a side point, but what this word prophecy here means is this. It means the Old Testament writers. They were considered the ones who foretold the Word of God, who spoke the Word of God. So when he says that they were told by the prophets, that would include Moses. That would include um, uh, Ezekiel. All of those men who spoke the Word of God. He says, the, the Old Testament prophets spoke and about the promise of the gospel. And then he says next that there was the promise made through the scriptures. Now that's important because Paul was trying to hit at an issue at heart. And the issue at heart there was that there were those who followed rabbinical teachings more than they did the word of God. Can I just say, folks, that there hasn't been a whole lot change over time because people are willing to follow traditions. They're willing to follow the teachings of other people over what the Holy Scripture's saying. And Paul was saying, listen, this was written in the Scriptures. And we say, how do we know that? Well, we know that because we can gather a couple of things from these two points that he says that the gospel is not some type of New Testament concept. The gospel goes all the way back to the holy teachings of the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it this way. You remember when he rebuked the religious leaders? And he says, you know, if you would have believed Moses, you would have believed in me. He says, because Moses wrote of me. Now, if you go back and look at the writings of Moses, you're not going to see anything specifically saying Jesus of Nazareth, but here's what you will see, and we're coming up on the Easter time frame and uh, when we, we, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we see Christ, for instance, in the writings of Moses in Exodus chapter 12. You remember that? He says when the, we, he lays out the sacrificial lamb, the lamb that they had to put the blood, he says you have to start with a lamb, and then it moved to the lamb, and then it moves to your lamb. And then we take that lamb, and we know that that lamb was slaughtered, and the blood was put over the, the doorpost and, and on the sides. It's a picture of Christ. Moses wrote that. He says, if you would have understood what Moses was writing, you would understand that that was about me. 
And then you get to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. You remember that? They, they've seen Christ crucified. They've seen him placed in a tomb. And they're walking along. They're dejected. They're heartbroken. And the Lord comes alongside of them, and he basically rebukes them, and, and, he, and he tells them you know, this. He says, O foolish men and slow of heart, to believe in all the prophets have spoken. And then he began just to open up the teachings, and their minds were opened up, and realizing, man, everything that we read out of the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the one who is the good news because he is the only way that a man can be saved from his sin. You see, that's the good news, and that's the promise of the good news. This isn't something new. It's from the very beginning. Everything that Jesus did, even as he, for instance, you remember when he walks out on the water? Did you know that the Old Testament says that God is the one who walks on water? When he calmed the seas, the, the scriptures say that he is the one who can speak to the sea and to the wind and say, be still. When he did all of those things, he wasn't doing it to impress people. He was doing it to say, I am the promised Messiah. This has been a promise. It's a gospel promise, and it's good news. I'm glad that God didn't have to react to us. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. God is not reacting to you. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no changing in him. So he has already had everything planned from the beginning of time. Let that sink in. Can you trust him? I mean, can you trust him? Yes. Absolutely you can trust him. So, that is the history of the gospel. Now, let me move on to the subject of the gospel, and we find that in verses 3 and 4 concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. And he declared to, uh, and he declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Well, when we look at this, we see the subject of the gospel. Anybody want to take a wild stab at what the subject of the gospel is? The subject of the gospel is Jesus Christ. That is, that is what every church, what every Christian should focus on in their walk, is that Jesus Christ is to be the center of everything that is taught and everything that is lived in the life of a believer. Right? By the way, I, I saw something so absolutely blasphemous and disgusting this week on a, a video of a guy, and I don't even know where he is from, but he was preaching that Jesus had to repent because he was a racist. That's where we're at. You see, Jesus is God. And because he's God, he's perfect. And there was never and never will be any reason for Jesus Christ to repent. How foolish how foolish of a statement. Well, the subject is Christ. And these two verses that we see speak both to his humanity and his deity. We see that in first concerning his humanity. It says in verse 3 that he was 
made the seed of David. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it, it does not mean. This does not speak that Jesus was created. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is the creator of everything there is. So that's not what it is saying. So what it is saying here when it says he was made the seed of David, it is speaking that Christ takes on human form. The eternal God who has always been and always will be humbled himself, is what the scripture says, and took on the form of a human. That's what it says when he was made to be the seed of David. And that is important for us. We'll talk about it here in just a moment. But he takes on the flesh of a man. Second, it says that he is declared to be the Son of God. Note there that it does not say that he was made to be the Son of God. He was declared to be. The phrase, according to the Spirit of Holiness, is a reference to his divine nature. It is a reference to his deity. So what we have in these two statements that Paul lays out for us is this, is that he is both fully human and fully God. And why is that important? That is so important for us to understand because if he was not human, he would not have been able to live that sin, sinless life and pay for our sin debt. You see, we go back to what Adam did, right? For by one man, sin entered into the world. And, and by that, death. And it comes on all men. So that's the first Adam. Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus comes along and he lives a perfect life. Why did he have to live a perfect life? Well, because God was going to require a perfect sacrifice. And the only way that that could be perfect is if he was man and fully God. Both. And that is what Paul is speaking to here. He is saying he has had his humanity, and yet he was God. The application is that God accepted this perfect life so that he could pay a perfect sacrifice to a perfect God. And the proof that it was accepted is the resurrection from the dead. We're getting ready to celebrate, to me, the holiest, holiest celebration of the Christian life. And that is the resurrection of Jesus. You know, forget about Christmas. You know, that, that has been so polluted you know, in the Christian life. You know, that we're all about lights and trees and gifts. But folks, when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, make sure you understand this. And if you have grandkids and, and children, it's not about Easter bunnies. It's not about going and getting Easter eggs. As a matter of fact, I think that's a very bad distraction. It should be on the focus of the Lord Jesus Christ and that he paid our sin debt and then on the third day God raised him from the dead. Let me talk about the fruit, the fruit of the gospel. We find that in verse 5. This is by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. You and I, receive grace through Jesus Christ. We receive grace through Jesus Christ, and this is the fruit of it, because of his life, his death, his burial, resurrection, that is where we have grace. 
And just to remember this, that grace is unmerited favor from God. There is nothing, nothing that you will ever do that could earn your place with God. Zero. I was reading this week a, a book that my wife had given me some time ago, and it's been very timely for me to read it now. I just started reading it last week, and it's called The Preacher's Catechism, and, and really takes um, uh, a lot of the questions from the Westminster you know, um, Statement of Faith and, and then applies it to the pastor. And one of the things that, that uh, this, this guy was laying out was saying for the preacher to understand and remember that he is not justified by, uh, by God for his preaching, that he is justified by God, by grace alone, in faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. That the preaching merits mean nothing with God. Everything that you do in this life does not merit favor with God. God's favor is given to you because of his grace alone. You're saved by grace, you're kept by grace, and you will still experience the grace of God through all of eternity. Isn't that a great thought? Aren't you grateful this morning that there is nothing that you can do to earn salvation, and if there's nothing you can do to earn salvation, it means there's nothing you can do to keep salvation. It's all God. It's really quite freeing once you understand that. Not only was Paul granted salvation, but grace also granted him apostleship is what he says that. He says that, listen, I have no place for this to be in my life, to be an apostle. Not only am I saved, but God's given me a ministry, and that's by his grace as well. He says, I'm an apostle by grace. I am a messenger. I am an ambassador for Christ by his grace. Can I just say this, that all of us Christians in like manner should view the opportunity slash responsibility to serve God because of his grace? And there are a great many Christians, I don't think, that understand that, or if they understand it, they willfully suppress the truth of it. That because God has graciously saved you, he has graciously given you a ministry as well. I sat down recently with a young couple that were looking for a church, and I reminded them that their responsibility in going to a church was not only to just show up, but to get involved in that church because God had gifted them with a spiritual gift, at least one, in order for the edification and the building up of the body of Christ where God places them at. And that is true not only for that young couple, that is true for you who are sitting here this morning. This is not a free ride. Grace, grace demands. Grace calls us. Understanding that he is so good to us that we find that place of service and we serve the risen Christ. Brother, I'm, I'm appreciative. This brother, is, is it, Lee, not only understands, I'm sure he's probably involved in a local church. I hope you are. But the one, one of the two things, and we preach this here, a Christian has two responsibilities. You have a ministry in the church. 
That is, you have been gifted in some way to help build up the rest of the body, right? Spiritual gifts. And we saw that in, as we preached through 1 Corinthians. But you also have a mission in the world. The ministry in the church is to other brothers and sisters. The mission in the world is to tell people about Jesus Christ. I talked to two of my kids this week. Sam's here visiting with us, and, and he said he had the opportunity uh, just expressing that, that he had met somebody in Colorado when they were there, and that through just uh, uh, talking about uh, where he goes to church at, now they have expressed an interest, and they've, they've gotten in touch with him on the Internet, and, and they started to look at what's going on and where he goes to church at. And then talking to one of my other kids about somebody else and how that they've experienced this tragedy in their life and they had been completely against anything about God and now they're opening up to the message of God. Why am I saying that, folks? I'm saying that if we as Christians understand the grace of God and how good God has been to us and gracious and merciful, why would we ever hold that to ourselves and not express it to the rest of the world? If we don't, we don't understand grace. Paul understood it. He goes on to say that there is an obedience, obedience to the faith. Faith implies obedience. We are called to call others. We're not called to sit. We're not called our own little world of not letting people know that we are followers of Jesus Christ. There is a world right now that is trying to figure out what is going on. There's a world out there that's trying to make sense of, of the chaos that we are experiencing. And by the way, we should all understand the clock is winding down. Now when the Lord returns, we don't know. That's why we believe in the imminent return of Christ. The rapture could happen today. We know there are certain things that have to happen before he literally returns. But you don't know what your end is and what day that will be. And how sad it will be for many who are not obedient to the faith. And that somehow the, the Christians think that by coming in on a Sunday morning and tipping their hat to God, that somehow God is pleased with that. Got to baptize my young friend last week. Steve, you remember the conversation, maybe, when you were leaving one day and you said that when you were under the conviction of the Holy Spirit about some things you were doing and said that this following Jesus stuff cost you a lot. And I told Steve, it cost you everything. And last week he made a profession of saying, I'm willing to pay, I'm willing to follow, I want to follow Jesus. I, man, I, I know that, you know, tough days lay ahead. You're going to be tested and tried, but your Savior is faithful, brother, and he will keep you. Be obedient. We're called to call others. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation, is what Paul tells us in another book. We are called to that ministry of reconciliation. We're called to teach others to be obedient to the commands and teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is verified to God's word in obedience to God's word. That's it. How do we know we have faith? Right? Now, let me just use the, the illustration again. I know that there's 
two paratroopers in here, my son and myself. We jumped out of planes. He still is. Good on him. St young Steve back there, he, he's been jumping out of planes for a while and getting ready to go do it and get paid $150, $150 a month now. Uh, when I first started doing they paid us $55 a month. Uh, you couldn't tie me up and pay me to do it again. <laughs> but my point of that is, is see, faith is believing in the outcome. You see, if, if somebody told me a parachute, told me to put a parachute on and jump out of an airplane and saying, this probably won't open, but go ahead and jump out. Believe me, we're going we're gonna to have a rumble right there at the, the door of the airplane. But if I believe that that parachute is going to open, that I'm going to jump out of the plane and trust in obedience as I jump out, trusting that that parachute will open. You see, what we need to do as God's people is we need to step out in obedience, trusting and placing our faith in Christ for the outcome. And when we don't, we're really showing a lack of faith and a lack of obedience to the Word of God. Well, let me close it with this. The response and the result of the gospel found in verses 6 through 7. Among whom you are also the call of Jesus Christ. To all them that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from our Lord and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, I want you to see this, that salvation is not automatic. You know, a lot of people just think, well, you know, I'm born in America or I was born in a Christian family. I've gone to church all of my life. Salvation is not automatic. Salvation comes through placing your faith in Jesus Christ. He says you're called. The Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. I don't want to get into the whole predestination thing before the time when we teach through this, but I will say this, that how, how, how are you called? You're called in Christ. How are you saved? You're saved in faith in Christ. Many hear a call, but they never put their faith in Christ. You have to put your faith in Christ in order to be saved. That's the only way you can be saved. Not of works, lest any man should boast, right? You must respond to the call. He says, call to be saints. What are saints? You remember that means to be set apart from sin and set apart to God. We'll talk more about that next week. When we look and say, what, what is the response? Well, listen, first of all, you need, to, you need to come to Christ. You need to accept Christ. The next thing you need to do is you say, you know what? I'm going to set, I, I have a part in this in that God has told me to separate myself from a sinful lifestyle. Now, we understand if there's somebody here that is without sin, let me know, and then I will pray for you at the end of the service to help you get over lying. Because all of us still struggle with that. But he says that it should not be a lifestyle. It should not be a pattern in our life. And so we're to set ourselves apart from that. We're, we're to seek holiness and righteousness because God calls us to do that. And he has equipped us to do it as well. God never calls us to do anything that he has not enabled us to do. And we're to set ourselves apart to God. In Christ we receive the grace and peace of God. The Christian life begins in grace, 
And it continues in grace for all of eternity. And the peace as well. True peace begins in Christ. You know, I, I was speaking to you guys Wednesday night, and just we were talking about what is a sign of a healthy church, and we said one of the signs of a healthy church is peace. And, and you know, that the, there, there are a lot of God's people who have not been at peace because their eyes are fixed on the troubles of the world rather than having their eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. We understand that we don't belong to this world, right? We need to, we need to grab that if we don't. We're, our citizenship is not here. We are pilgrims passing through. And I'll say it again for us that too long we have seen, well, says, I'm an American Christian. No, we need to change that way of thinking, and we need to say, no, I'm a Christian that happens to live in America. Amen. That changes the dynamic. Because when we, have, when we have a government that celebrates almost everything anti-God and calls it good, then we better understand where our true citizenship lies. And if you want peace, you're going to find it in Christ and in Christ alone. Amen? All right. If you don't know Christ, I want to encourage you, grab hold of me, grab hold of somebody else today, grab hold of Brother Lee, find somebody, and we will sit down with this Bible and show you how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, how to have your sins forgiven for all eternity and to have a promise of heaven. And for the Christian this morning, I want to encourage you this morning, trust in the promise. Trust in the subject who is Christ. Trust in the obedience. Trust that God will give you peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day that you have given us. We thank you most of all, Lord, for your word that tells us about the most treasured thing that we have, and that is Jesus. Lord Jesus, we pray that through this message that you are glorified. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take your holy word and that you would work in the lives of the people who have heard this message today both here sitting in the congregation and those who are on Facebook. And, Lord, that you would uh, bring conviction where conviction is needed and comfort where comfort is needed. You know the heart of every single person. We understand, Lord, that we're not able to do it ourselves and don't want that responsibility, but it is all you. And when it is done, it is for your glory, for your namesake, O oh Lord. We praise you and give this time and glory to you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.